Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 48 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome back to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have an absolute smasher of a show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with this week's guest, Beryl Comer. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. And this week, I have a very particular topic to cover, as you will hear. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Beryl Comer. We shall be exploring her hypnodontics work and approach. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please do go and give us a favourable rating and even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. So, first of all, today is this week's interview. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Beryl Comer to Hypnosis Weekly. I spoke to Beryl while she was in Spain, fresh from her morning walk through the orange trees. She heralds from right here in England, yet has spent a great deal of her time travelling and has been based in Africa, the Middle East and the US. And you're going to hear a great deal about that in our interview today. She's been studying hypnosis since before I was even born and is definitely one of my more cosmopolitan guests. Beryl and her work were mentioned to me by former guests of the show and I spotted that we'll be speaking at the same hypnosis conference later this year i decided to therefore reach out and see if she'd come and join me on the show for now my friends get comfy turn up the volume sip on your tea enjoy this week's interview So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Beryl Coma. Welcome to Hypnosis Weekly, Beryl. Thank you very much, Adam, for inviting me. It's nice to be with you. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Tell us about how you got into this field, what your background is, and how you arrived at where you are now. Ah, well, I'm, uh, I'm a Brit, but I left Britain in 1972 never really came back, um, went off to do voluntary service overseas in Tanzania because I was 
very concerned all the way through the 60s about who's going to help all the kids that have no mummies and daddies. Yeah. So went off to Africa, saw all the stuff about Biafra and the Bangladesh floods and we first got TV and that was me. I wasn't going to get married and have kids and all that sort of stuff. That was a mm. career girl. Yeah. Um, whilst in Tanzania, I was uh, with the Maasai tribe. And on the Maasai tribe do this um, trance dance where they, they jump up and down, they froth at the mouth, etc. Yeah. And I realized this was hypnosis. We'd had a hypnotist visit the school, uh, our college, which is Worcester. Worcester College, teach training college at the time. Mm. And I realized that this was hypnosis. And um, I used to join in, I used to get into trance and all sorts of things and grow all sorts of funny stuff in the garden, as you do when you live in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> Try all sorts of funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then I got into transcendental meditation, 1974, um, and uh, did a lot of TM and exploring different states, uh, no access to books and things like that, just talking and yeah. very interesting people hitchhiking, passing through. We had Jane Goodall there. We had Mary Leakey, very interesting people. Cool. And in seven, yeah, four years there. And then it went, I moved to Dubai in 1976. The country had just become independent. It was very like Africa, really. Mm. And then... Um, setting up um, a school for uh, the Sheikh, uh, the first bilingual school, still sort of playing around with this hypnosis thing. As a headmistress, you get sent the naughty boys. <laughs> I used to uh, hypnotize them, send them back to class. <laughs> used to say, oh, I don't know what you do with the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with suddenly, the kids. They're suddenly so towing the line. <laughs> well, no, they play. Well, how I used to do it with them was it's them. Um, playing the game and the teacher doesn't know how to play it very well but you do yeah and that's what i used to do with them lovely. yeah lovely uh, but i never said it was hypnosis because i would never been trained in hypnosis and i couldn't say it was because well i just knew it was a state <laughs> yeah. rem yeah. um we used to play around in the 60s with the idea of cassettes and playing cassette before you go to sleep and you don't learn a language. So I played around with that sort of stuff to learn Swahili. He used to play, make a recording on a, a cassette, if you guys know what a cassette is, <laughs> <laughs> and, and play that before I went to sleep to see if it would improve my Swahili and then my Arabic later. Yeah. Um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm natural at languages. Um, I don't think so. I wasn't at school. So, uh, once I got to Dubai, actually, there was a stage hypnotist coming through, Nigel Ellery, a Brit. But he spent mm. a lot of time in the States, too. Mm. And um, I, hooked up, I hooked up with him uh, each time he came and learned hypnosis. Some of the stage stuff, I was the one with my head on, my neck on one chair, my feet on another, nothing underneath me, two people sitting on top and things like that. Mm. Uh, learning instant hypnosis you know snap your fingers and this into stand-up hypnosis going into bars and telling guys they'd lost their bottom and stuff like this <laughs> but you know i didn't know about courses there were no such things as courses then you you just apprenticed yourself to someone yes i wasn't really doing therapy i wouldn't say or anything like that just having fun with states yeah 
and helping the kids who needed it, you know, and keeping it as a secret, what I did, because I didn't want to get thrown out of the country. And it was, um, then it was 1984, and I took a year off to do a master's in, um, at Reading in uh, applied linguistics. Yeah, wow. Burned out on the job. And I took a year off to think, do I want to go back to UK? Well, I'll just commit for, to a nine-month master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> for a rest. Yeah, for a rest. <laughs> I did a master's degree in nine months, yeah, in applied yeah. linguistics. <laughs> but that's got, got me into Chomsky grammar, transformational mm. grammar. It got me. And there was one book at that time, From Frogs to Princes, mm. uh, Bandler's book. Mm. And I, that's it. I said, this is what I want to do. So I got very much into, they, the more I said I want to do my research into NLP, the more the, Brits, you know, the professors would say, oh, no, no, it's not scientific. Oh, no, no, we don't do that. That's American. And the more people say no to me, the more I say, hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've always been like that, uh, a bit of a rebel. And um, so... I did something very mundane, like the structural functionalism, the question form in Arabic and English or something. Just keep them quiet and get me my degree. And then I was off to the States to track down Bandler and Grinder and all these people. Mm. And that's really when I kind of left being UK focused because I realized not much was happening in UK. It was all happening in the States. Yeah. And... Um, I found out about Elman. I said, okay, who, te- who, who teaches Elman? Uh, I found Jerry Kine. It was Ger- Gerald Kine who kept Elman alive. The Elmans weren't teaching at that time. Yeah. So um, I trained, you know, I trained with um, Bandler down in Puerto Vallarta and Mexico. Um, and then uh, found... Jerry Kine and trained with Gerald Kine. Yeah. And that was that was it then. It's like, oh, I want to convert the whole world to hypnosis and what it can do, regression <laughs> to cause, parts therapy, you know, snap your fingers, go back to the first time, go before that, go through it. Oh, you've survived. Okay. Everything in my mind is like it's a trauma. Everything was a trauma. You were yeah. okay before, whether it's an allergy or a fear or a phobia, it's a trauma. You were okay before. As a result of the trauma, your brain's holding on to how it protected itself then, and will always do that until you change the behavior and realize that actually you survived. You're okay. You didn't die. Yeah. Because the brain's always thinking, oh, I, I, I've got to protect myself from death. So uh, came back to the Middle East, um, bit broke, <laughs> not a penny. So I. Uh, Again, in a very conservative job in a teacher training and head of a department at the university. But more and more people are coming to me for advice, for help. New people just arriving from UK, US or whatever Mm. in a new country. All day long I'd be helping them. And then they'd all go home and I'd have to start my job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The dean was getting a bit frustrated, like, can't you just say no to them, Beryl? You've got a job to do and things. And more and more I could see that 
the climate was changing in the Middle East a little bit. People were starting to talk about wellness. And I made the jump and I said, that's it. I'm going to start um, doing hypnosis full time. And everybody thought I was mad <laughs> because, you know, the Arabs will never do it. And Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, it'll never be. I still get people say, well, how do you do it in, in Arabia? I'm like, I've been doing it for 25 years. <laughs> wow. And so I was literally the first hypnotherapist and the first NLP in the Middle East. Yeah, wow. So um, then I started going, uh, um, and then I found myself busy. I was even working with the Dubai police. I was working with the royal family because I had connections having been headmistress of the school of course so all the the well-known families already knew me and I had a good reputation I think that helped and then I found that I needed more and more people in different languages Dubai being very cosmopolitan and people were saying oh this was so good for me it's changed my life can you help my mum when she comes but she doesn't speak English okay she's Russian or can you help my sister when she comes but she's french and doesn't speak english and things like that mm. um i've done a lot of work with people who think they don't speak english but because the subconscious mind knows more english than you your conscious allows you to speak because of fear i've worked with a lot of people with idiomotor responses to the subconscious mind that speaks in that does know english mm. do you know what i mean mm, interesting so I've worked, I've worked with, with every nationality going from Mauritania to Mongolia to <laughs> Mexico, uh, hundreds of nationalities. Yeah. And then, uh, so then I started saying, okay, I've got to train. So I started training, hypnotherapy. Um, then people say, oh, we want a UK-US certification. Said, well, don't you don't need one because you don't have to be certified in either country. But oh, we want one. So then I looked around with people who would partner with me to certify what I do. And National Guild of Hypnotists, I joined, and I'm a CI with them. The Elmans certify my courses. Carl uh, Smith at the UK Hypnosis Academy, he does too, and. Um, my husband was, um, I, I got married, finally, at 42. My husband was a doctor. Um, and that gave me a lot of inroads with doctors and dentists. So yes. I found myself doing a lot of, where they where they were saying, oh, it's all in their mind. I said, well, if you think it's all in their mind, send them to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, you know, how the doctors say, oh, it's all in their mind. Send yeah. them to me. <laughs> yeah. And there was a dentist who started sending me a lot. He'd done a, a one-day hypnosis course. And he, he started sending me a lot of gaggers. Uh, my first person was somebody who um, was gagging, putting her fa false teeth in. He'd made her false teeth, but she couldn't put them in. And she yeah. was getting more and more frustrated. So I worked with her two sessions. She was putting her teeth in um, okay, um, we found out the cause. It was because of being um, sexually abused as a kid. So we did a third session on. She realised she needed to get rid of a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah. So it was three sessions and changed her life. And then he started telling other dentists about me, and and I kept saying, oh, I really ought to. You know, there's nothing on hypnodontics. I really should write. 
but it wasn't until my husband died that I I said, okay, I've got the time now and I'm alone in the evenings. Instead of turning to drink, I'll write the book. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So and that's really yeah yeah i mean we're gonna we're gonna discuss hypnodontics and and your book in some depth uh later on which which i'm really excited about um I'm, I'm, with regards to hypnosis then you know because you've been you've been involved in this you know you know experientially and, and really kind of explored your way into the field even before training um i'm so so, so i'm guessing you would have had some sort of framework with regards to what, what you believed hypnosis was and, and and so on tell me tell me you know today how do you define hypnosis if you do or, or and, and how did you arrive at that and and how do you explain hypnosis to your clients and people that ask you about it? Well, I tend not to define hypnosis, Adam. Um, sure, sure. I tend to say what it isn't. <laughs> sure, sure. Rather than what it is. So tell me what it isn't. Well, it it isn't mind control. I hate that word control. Yeah. Um, I think it gives a, a bad impression. Yeah. And um, we're not under hypnosis. I hate those words under because, again, you're under yeah. someone. You're in a natural state. I just find it as a natural state. Yeah. That's interesting to explore, and um, that's the therapy side. Um, so, so, so you allow people to sort of discover their own experience to an extent. Yeah, it's going to be different for everybody. So, how can you define it? And that's why it makes it difficult to research it. I guess we have one, I tend to say we have one brain, but many minds. Mm. And what what we're aiming for is to have peace of mind. Peace of mind is when those two parts of your mind or three parts of your mind are all in agreement. Mm. Mm. I get that. And so, so, so you, you sort of lay out your, your aims to your clients in those sort of terms and let them have their subjective experience of, of what goes on from there. Yes, for their yeah. peace of mind. Yeah, 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 I get that, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, so you mentioned, you mentioned Gerald Kine, you mentioned um, Richard Bandler. Um, um, tell, us, tell us about some of your, your major influences in this field and perhaps even some of the, some of the books and authors that, that you feel have taught you most and contributed to, to your education and your experience the most. And perhaps the teachers, especially with you having a teaching background, the teachers that have been perhaps more influential upon you and there's some of the reasons why. Yeah, well, I was just... Oh, let me think. The sixties were a great influence on me. You know, the, just, being a teenager in the sixties, halfway right. between Liverpool and Manchester, was amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and being able to jump on a, a train and go down to London and join in Mandela um, marches or CND marches um, uh, to go on marches to protest uh, American influence and Triton missiles and things. It was just so free thinking. Mm. It was, um, uh, and I was very interested in the brain. I was always asking which came first, thinking or language, language or thought. I was mm. very, um, I loved English grammar and, and language, but in those days you couldn't even take A-level 
um, language. You had to take literature. I wasn't interested in literature. <laughs> sure. I wanted to feel literature and just love the words, not analyze it. Sure. Um, so um, anything to do with that, I guess the first books I got hold of, as I say, was Bandler's Frogs to Princes. Yeah. And I realized it was hypnosis. It was, well, it was NLP, but it was words again. I love words. Yeah. Um, I just, there were so few books in, the, in those days. No, nothing. It was sort of Svengali-ish, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so um, a lot of your, your original influence then was, was more of a sort of attitude of the era. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Attitude of the era. Sure, sure. And, yeah, but mostly uh, the people that did influence were women. The woman who was the head of the department of the teacher training department. Yeah. Um, because that was, was quite a pivotal amazing. time and pivotal era for women as well in general, wasn't it? Yes, my pr professor, um, Eileen Wormold, she wrote a book on gender differences in Britain. Um, uh, so I just was, yeah, I was one of the burn your bra gang, you know? And, Su suffragette. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, feminist, but everybody thought feminist meant you were gay or something, you yeah. know, whatever. No, just women's rights. Sure, and, um, sure. That's why, again, you know, I wanted to escape it all. And that's why Africa was so freeing as well. Sure. And traveling and hitchhiking. I hitchhiked all over Africa. Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I know. That sounds terrifying to me. Um, um, you know, it absolutely sounds terrifying to me. Yet, um, you know, I, I'm guessing very, very, very and ultimately liberating. Um uh, certainly, I get that. I get that impression from the way in which you, you know, you, you talk so fondly of it. Um so throughout those years, then the years where you've had this kind of exposure to the field of hypnosis, right up to the to, to, to the sort of era in your life where it's become, you know, perhaps perhaps more sophisticated. Um, and what have been some of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you that you've directly witnessed? Well, working with things that people say you can't or you shouldn't. <laughs> Again, I don't listen. I've worked with some schizophrenics, for example, who people yeah. say, don't touch. Mm. But I've had their psychiatrists come along with them. Their psychiatrists want to learn what I'm doing. So they want to sit in on the sessions. Mm. I've had, um, I had one schizophrenic who, when we were talking to this, she was driving into walls, <laughs> Try, you know, trying to kill herself. So this, when we talked to the park killer and actually her skin changed her voice changed right and her came up and actually even with her eyes closed she 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 had me by the throat yeah wow i mean I... <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it's all words because i said what's your job killer and she said try to kill my job's to try to kill her so i just said well try to kill me now mm. and she and did and she had a go <laughs> No, because try, this is one of the first things I, t I teach every client. Try is a failure. Yeah, of course. You're trying to lose weight or you're trying to win or you try. Mm. I show them how their body reacts. I said, okay, try to, she's got her hand at my throat. The psychiatrist is freaking out. And I say, okay, try to kill me. Go on, try, try. Go on, really try. That's your job, try to kill me. And of course, she just ended up in tears. Yeah. 
and cried for 20 minutes, just left her. When she came back, she's, yeah, mm. she stopped crying. Everything was okay. And I asked to speak to Killer again, no response. So I asked some of the other parts. There were seven parts. And there was a little frightened girl called Susie. So I asked Susie, and Susie said, Killer's gone. Because wow. it realized it didn't have a job anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how was her recovery beyond that? Oh, we did some more with the other parts and working with that. But um, as, far, as far as her psychologist and her psychiatrist were concerned, they said she's not schizophrenic anymore, but we're scared to make that diagnosis because yeah. nobody will ever believe that schizophrenia is being cured. Mm, mm, wow. She herself was stopping taking her medications sometimes, but they're still telling her to take the medications. Yeah. Because they're too scared. Yeah. Yeah. To go yeah. any further. Yeah, I I've get had that. people that I've worked with. I worked with Steve Parkhill. Oh, a great, a great influence, Steve Parkhill. Yeah. Who wrote the book Answer? Answer. Yeah, I'm aware of it. So I've yeah. worked with a lot of cancer clients. Yeah. And again, when you talk to cancer, their body changes, their, uh, even their fingers, uh, their face. It's um, talking to cancer is not. It's not something I want. I would want to do all the time. It's not particularly nice. Sure. But um, fun stuff too, you know. Yeah. I just learn from every client. You say, what's the most influential thing to me is my clients. Yeah. My clients have influenced me more than anything. Yeah, I'm. 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 You know, I. I, I commonly um, get have have our guests here that do that do say the same and, and say something very similar. That actually, you know, it's it's a real ongoing. Um, I'm in the role of, of, of therapist of any ilk. Um, it's very much an ongoing process where we're learning so much from those that we work with, you know, certainly over and beyond um, what we can learn from from books and teachers and, and, and underpinning theory and so on. Um, and so so I, I, I'm always really fascinated to hear people discussing that and talking about that. Um, um, so this has been this has been quite a long journey for you in a real sort of lifetime relationship that you've had. Um, if you could, if you could really go back, Beryl, if you could go back to when you started out exploring these fields, knowing what you know now, is there anything you'd do differently? Um, I mean, if so, would you share that? And also, is there any advice that the person you are today would 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 give to that younger version of you at all? And um, is there any advice that you'd extend to hypnotherapists of today, perhaps people tuning in to listen to this, that would uh, that would be interested in in, in that? Um, no, I don't think I'd change things much at all. Um, maybe I would have got passive income a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I was working seven days a week. Work, you know, people in Dubai, they go to work, so they can't suddenly take time off work to go and see their hypnotherapist or even their doctor. So you're working at evenings, you're working weekends, you're working... Um, um, unsociable hours. Um, yeah. My husband was a doctor; he did too, but not all. Sometimes we wouldn't see each other, and I'm, yeah, I would have liked to have spent more time with him. He was an, he was amazing too. He did voluntary service work in Mexico. He did voluntary service work in Cyprus. Um, you know, this ship with doctors that was going over to Gaza. Right. 
yeah, he was um, working for that organization. Wow. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, a lot of um, a lot of people when they're starting out, you know, they have they have time to sell, essentially, and, and time and, and, and their service and are, are very often attempting to, to to do just what you've been explaining, you know, fill their diaries with with clients and and not actually have any other income coming in so i think it makes a lot of sense with regards to establishing passive income and other streams of income as a hypnotherapist too i think that's easier now with the internet yeah it wasn't then i mean i would have people traveling to from iran from saudi to see me and the only time is they could come was weekends Mm. um we didn't have the internet so and i wish i'd learned more about the internet i'm not very savvy on all this stuff um, but I wish a lot of people would just hone their skills. A lot of people, from what I've observed, is they finish their courses and then they spend more time developing their websites and their internet and things than their actual skills as a hypnotherapist. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, yeah. Doing real work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> plus, plus, you know what? You know what? Out there, there, there are much better people. There, are, there are people much better equipped to work on a hypnotherapist website than the hypnotherapist themselves. Um, and I yes. think people get burdened down with feeling they need to be ultimately responsible for every single component of their business. When actually, there's a huge world out there of people that are much better equipped to go and do that stuff, while you start to, you know, do what you do best. Um, I'm, you know, doing and, and engaging with the hypnotherapy and so on. Um, so I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. When we spoke, when we spoke off there earlier, um, um, and 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 I've noticed some of the um, some of the weight that you've placed upon, you know, both on your website and so on, on your your work with emotional intelligence. And uh, you mentioned to me, you know, you have a real passion for emotional intelligence. Tell me, um, Beryl, how does that fit into your work? And perhaps for people less aware, you could just explain what it actually is before that. Well, I, when you said, how do you define hypnosis? <laughs> I define it as um, NLP, both of them, as the how-to of emotional intelligence. Mm. They are the how-to. Because emotional intelligence is just a theory from a university, um, and we, I, I studied uh, emotional intelligence at Yale uh, with David Caruso and Peter Salovey. Mm. And uh, there are four elements of emotional intelligence. There's the intrapersonal, which is our self-awareness and our self-management. Mm. And there's interpersonal, which is social awareness and relationship management. Yeah. So those are the four quadrants. And, isn't, and that's what we do. It all starts with self-awareness. That is what we do. Mm. And then we're teaching our client how to manage that. And if you have um, self-awareness, self-management, you can have social awareness and social social management, relationship management. So that's the theory, okay? Mm. But how I got involved is because, remember, I came from that academic background, Yes. You know, teacher, then headmistress, and then 
English department at the university to teach training department, etc., training teachers. Yeah. And I just got fed up with academia because it got more and more about percentages and numbers and more about, more about exams and learning, and it got more and more away from why I became a teacher. And why I became a teacher is to help kids to use a knife and fork and yeah. be emotionally intelligent and yeah. how they respond to people. Remember, I, I was the one they sent the naughty boys to yeah, who couldn't manage themselves because they'd so too itchy fidgety and I'd send them back to play the game yeah. in the classroom. Um, uh, so when it came along, it was like, oh, finally, this is explaining what it's about, that EQ... EQ, or the way you measure emotional intelligence, is more important than IQ. Mm. And yet still we get these parents pushing IQ. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Adam, but when was the last time actually somebody asked you for your college certificate or your transcript or something like that? Very rare. Yeah, they want to know how you the team. How do you work with clients? How personable are you? Yeah. You, are you a good listener? Can yeah. you manage in chaos? I mean, I had a um, a situation of chaos this morning when I went for my morning walk through the oranges, and there's a lady who'd uh, fallen, and um, she scraped all down her arm, and she's much older than me. She's probably ten years older than me. Obviously, in the seventies, and flip flops, a little Spanish lady with no um, English at all. Mm. And uh, she, I'd seen her several times on the walks before, and she carried a cap. She walks in f sort of flippy flops, yeah, not walking shoes. And I'd often wondered how. I thought to myself in passing her, you know, how does she manage to do these walks in these shoes? Anyway, she'd fallen, and she was searching through all this undergrowth for her keys and her glasses. And we looked and looked, and it was hot. It was bothersome. I knew I had to be back for this call. So I've got to sort of manage myself. I've got to be self-aware of how I'm feeling, how she's feeling. She's obviously quite poor, but she looks after herself. She's been going for these walks. I'm the one with water. So I used the water to help her wounds. I was looking for – we never found her glasses, by the way. But then mm. some other people came by, and they started – so, and I was able to keep calm and ask one of the guys who came by who was a runner where his car was, and he was able to bring his car in. And Yeah, but um, if, you're, if I wasn't here for your call, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to do what I needed to do, and it's all about keeping your emotional intelligence Absolutely. and your priority. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. And that's emotional intelligence rather than thinking, I've got to put business first. I've got to put stuff, the doing stuff before the being stuff. Yeah. The human being or the human doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, my business card actually says, Beryl Coma, and then under emotional intelligence development specialist. Mm. People look at it and they say, oh, what's that? Never met one of those before. <laughs> but if you put if you put hypnotist or hypnotherapist, they already have an impression of that word. You know, I told you I love words. 
they've got a mental breakdown of that word, haven't they? Yeah, there's a, the, you know, it frames. So you, you actually then have to work hard to reframe that yeah. from a negative to a positive. I don't, because they actually lean in with their bodies and say, oh, what's that? Oh, I've never met one of those before. What do you do? So now I get a chance to talk about hypnosis and NLP and EFT and all the things that I do. Um without there being the the barrier there. Yeah. So yeah. I've been talking at the National Guilds of Hypnosis Convention now for 16 years, and uh, for 14 of those, I've been um, talking about emotional intelligence, and I've been certifying people in emotional intelligence. Yeah. And uh, it's a great way for getting corporate work, because... Corporates don't want a hypnotist, mm. but they do want more emotional intelligence in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, um, so, so, and 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 you use that, and you use that as a framework to guide what you do one to one with people. Do, do you actually then teach that framework to clients individually, or is it just something that sort of pin uh, underpins what you do? It's necessary. Yeah, I mean, if I've got a smoker coming in, that's easy, just get on with quitting smoking. But if it's relationship work, I do quite a lot of relationship work. I'm quite famous for my broken heart cure, which I do at conventions in the States as well. Yeah. And work a lot with the air crew, who have a lot of broken hearts. Emirates Air Crew, Etihad, Air Arabia, all of those air crews that are based there. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, yeah. So, so yes, if it's relationship work, I do. Mm. Mm. Um, if it's um, hypno coaching um, or NLP coaching, then yes, definitely we work within that framework. But I'm also a transactional analyst, so I do a lot of transactional analysis to explain how we become yeah. the victim, um, the judge, uh, how to become um, more of the uh, adult and less passive aggressive etc so I, lo I use lots of frameworks i told you the the client is the script i don't have a script that everybody comes in and does it i i would get too bored i'm too adhd for that <laughs> I, if i had to do the same thing with every client or whip out a script and read it i would have given this up 25 years ago yeah but the the reason i've stuck at this <laughs> is because I can be so creative with every client that comes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love I, it. I get that. I never retire. It's too tiring to retire. <laughs> yeah. Um, now then, we're going to talk in, in, some, in some depth in a short while about hypnodontics. <coughs> in the meantime, where can people go to learn more about you and your work online? Um... <coughs> Well, I'm very low key online. <laughs> well, how can people way. go and how can people seek you uh, out? www.changeassociates.ae. <coughs> That's my company in Dubai. Change Associates. Which I recently, yeah, I recently sold that to two of my students so that um, I can travel more. Um, hypnodontics world is not very active at the moment. We're just redesigning a whole new hypnodontics world. Dot com yeah. site so that should be up and running by the end of the month um, 
I have another one, sleeptalkme.com, which is about my sleep talk work. Yeah. Which is um, Joanne Golding. Have you interviewed yeah. Joanne Golding yet? No, I've not interviewed yeah. her. I, I have invited her, but I've not interviewed oh. her just yet. So, um, I'm, I'm... One of her trainers, not just a consultant, I train. Mm, mm. And so with um, um, what we will do is there will be links to all of these different websites on the um, um, on, on the episode page for this the, on the hypnosis weekly website and we'll have all of those up there so you can go track down Beryl's work learn more about her we're going to be back in a short while talking all things hypnodontics for now thank you very much Beryl thank you really enjoyed that as i said we'll be back with beryl for our professional discussion shortly on to this week's hypnosis in the news section and um, as i do regularly um, i'm taking a slight sidestep uh, again this week with an opinion piece of my own in response to some of the ways in which hypnosis gets portrayed on forums and within the media by hypnotherapists and it's it's why i believe all hypnotherapists need to know what shoshin is a short while ago, you'll know that we had a slight break. We had a week break um, with Hypnosis Weekly, as, as we do sometimes when I'm teaching for a prolonged period of time. Um, immediately after I'd welcomed um, the students that week onto my advanced hypnotherapy diploma, I framed the entire week-long tuition block by explaining and discussing Shoshin. And it's also referred to as beginner's mind. And I'll quote... In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. And that's by Shanryu Suzuki, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. This advanced hypnotherapy diploma that, that, that I run had people from a number of different backgrounds, different levels of experience and varying theoretical underpinnings. And with the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy being so diverse anyway, with so many people making so many wide claims about what is right or correct within the field, how do you teach such a subject to people that already have diploma level qualification in the field of hypnotherapy? How do you teach effectively? And my advice is that everybody in class adopt Shoshin, a concept in Zen Buddhism meaning beginner's mind. So when we refer to a beginner's mind, it refers to having an attitude of openness, eagerness and a lack of preconceptions when studying a subject. Even when studying at an advanced level, you become just as a beginner in that subject would. When you allow yourself to be a true beginner, your mind is empty and open. And this is incredibly important if you want to learn more in the hypnotherapy field. When people are so invested in what they've already learned, when they are so loyal to the way they already do things, when they are so entrenched in existing dogma, that all needs to be left at the door in order to truly learn new, new things. I make a big point of the fact that I expected everyone present in class who had trained with me previously to do the same, you know, especially them to do the same. With a beginner's mind, you are willing to learn and consider all pieces of information, like a child discovering something for the first time. As you develop knowledge and expertise, however, your mind naturally becomes more closed. You tend to think, I already know how to do this, and you become less open to new information. 
My experience has been that the field of hypnotherapy is particularly filled with experts unwilling to open their minds to alternatives or that they have anything more to learn. Many a hypnotherapist equipped with a diploma, for example, believes that diploma has taught them the gospel of what hypnotherapy is and how to best use it with their hypnotherapy clients. And that's the danger that comes with so-called expertise. It stunts further growth. And we should all actually want the field of hypnotherapy to grow and develop, not just be confirmed as what we currently believe. On our advanced hypnotherapy diploma last week, we examined forms of academic argumentation and we're being aware of cognitive bias, you know, within ourselves as much as others, you know, and the reasons that that's important. And it's important because we often tend to discount or ignore information that disagrees with what we've learned previously. And we tend to agree with the information that confirms our current approach. And that's the, the confirmation bias heuristic. We think we are learning, we think we are developing, but in reality, we are steamrolling through information and conversations, waiting until we hear something that matches up with our current philosophy or previous experience, and cherry-picking information to justify our current behaviours and beliefs. Many hypnotherapists or hypnosis professionals don't want new information, they want validating information. Conferences, CPD trainings and advanced courses run the risk of attracting people invested in that approach already and not truly challenging those present or offering them anything that's new or properly illuminating or that requires some depth of thought. My own advanced hypnotherapy diploma was constructed to challenge, to discover, to develop and to be intensive and the only way to survive such, I say survive, is to approach it with a beginner's mind. So how does anybody discover Shushin? Well, let's let's go back. Let me give you another quote from Shunryu Suzuki, and the author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. When you listen to someone, you should give up all your preconceived ideas and your subjective opinions. You should just listen to him, just observe what his way is. We put very little emphasis on the right and wrong or good and bad. We just see things as they are with him and accept them. This is how we communicate with each other. Usually when you listen to some statement, you hear it as a kind of echo of yourself. You are actually listening to your own opinion. If it agrees with your opinion, you may accept it, but if it does not, you will reject it or you may not even really hear it. I love that. I love that. You know what? You don't always need to add value. I don't know if you've ever been on a hypnotherapy CPD event or at a conference where a group are all advising each other on what each other should try or do. Few are actually responding or listening. They're just advising. If you're constantly trying to add value, you know, you should try this or let me share something with you that worked well for this. And then you destroy the ownership that other people feel about their ideas. At the same time, it's impossible for you to listen to someone else when you're talking. So a great first step is to let go of the need to always have to contribute. Step back every now and then and just observe and listen. But also, I'm not saying this in a sci-fi related term, though that is my bent, as you regular listeners will know. But resistance is futile. 
That is, if you are on a hypnotherapy course or having a conversation about hypnotherapy with a fellow professional, someone makes a statement that you disagree with, release the urge to refute it, resist it or correct them. They don't need to lose the argument for you to win. Letting go of the need to prove a point opens up the possibility for you to learn something new. Approach it from a place of curiosity. Isn't that interesting? You know, they look at this in a totally different way. Even if you are right and they are wrong, it doesn't matter. You can walk away satisfied, even if you don't have the last word in every conversation. You know, I get asked a great deal why I don't challenge more of the, the Hypnosis Weekly podcast guests here more often. Why I don't defend my own stance, especially when people have a pop at evidence-based leanings, for example. It's because I want to be humble. I want to be open. I want to be... I want to respectfully consider that I can learn more from this conversation. My hypnotherapy students and clients will derive more benefit as a result too. But also we want to seek more understanding, seek more knowledge. Those who know me well know, you know, I like to talk. I like setting the world to rights. I like giving my opinion. I like to debate. I like to philosophize. It's sometimes therefore a challenge for me to properly be quiet, to actively listen. That is, to listen without thinking about what I will say next or how I'll respond, just opening my ears and mind totally. The simplest way to do this and to do that is to, to be asking, you know, tell me more about that. It doesn't matter what your topic is. I'm simply trying to figure out how things work and open my mind to listening deeply about the world through someone else's perspective. Just hearing it is very different to listening deeply to it and allowing it to be considered and to resonate within you. Finally, what I would say is assume you are naive. In his brilliant book, Fooled by Randomness, Nassim Taleb writes, I try to remind my group each week that we are all idiots and know nothing, but we have the good fortune of knowing it. I love that. You know what? We're all human, even us hypnotherapists. We are fallible. It's understandable if we think we know it all from time to time. We all have to learn information from someone and somewhere. So we all have a tutor or a mentor or a teacher or a guiding system that we adhere to within our hypnotherapy work. We invest in that system and it becomes part of our hypnotherapy work. The key is to realize this influence, to truly reflect and understand how our beliefs and biases are influencing the decisions that we make and the things we say within our hypnotherapy work. You know, we are all naive at times, but if you know that, then you can start to let go of your preconceptions and approach hypnotherapy and life with the openness of a beginner. And I think your clients, your career will appreciate it greatly. As a hypnotherapist, when you study, when you read, when you relate with fellow professionals, be humble, adopt a beginner's mind, and you'll learn so much more as a result, in my opinion. So I've added a link to this particular reference, uh, this week's podcast entry over at www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Beryl Comer. As I mentioned earlier, a while ago, someone I respect a lot within this field was promoting a book entitled Hypnodontics, and it's what first led me to seek out Beryl uh, to become a guest on the show. I love to see these types of specialisms working out so beautifully within the field. So, Hypnodontics, that's what we discuss here. Here is this week's professional discussion with Beryl Comer. Enjoy. Enjoy. <music> 
So I'm joined once again um, by Beryl Comer, this week's guest here, and we're going to talk all things hypnodontics. Um, welcome back, Beryl. Tell us, Thank you. tell us a little bit. What 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 is when we're talking hypnodontics? What is it? Well, hypnodontics is the application of hypnosis and hypnotherapy to dental issues. Yeah. Okay. Now, even the hypnotists that I meet say, oh, yeah, I can do that, that pain management stuff. And you're really limiting yourself if you think it's only about pain, pain management. Yeah. Because it's got a whole wide range of applications, like controlling mouth opening, control of tongue movements, control of saliva, um, control of spasms of jaw muscles. Um, sensations caused by the equipment, like the smells, the tastes, the masks, the the environment. Control of body tension, because the more tense they are, then the more likely they are to have that pain. Anticipation, fears and phobias. Nausea. And, you know, there is anesthesia and there's analgesia. Do you know the difference? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, hemostasis, there's gagging, there's bruxism. Your husband may not know you throw up every night and you're bulimic, but your dentist does because he can see it in your teeth. The smoking. Yeah. The dentist can refer so many people to you if you work hand in glove with the hypnotist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is such a great, great um, partnership. And most dentists have had at least one day of hypnosis training in their training yes but they've just been so busy with their technical stuff that they haven't they haven't progressed i just gave a copy of my book to the dentist in my village who i'm actually seeing later today for some work and he was oh he was over the moon he was dancing up and down and calling all his staff in to have a look because he did a one-day training he said, I'm always fascinated by this stuff. I read about it. Oh, you're the person. Oh, I've read. Oh, gosh, we've got this famous person in the village. And he was just <laughs> dancing up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Uh, I love hearing that. You know, they, they're so keen. They, I do two day trainings for dentists, not to do all the therapy stuff, but to know what they should be referring to you guys because they don't know even. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I just train them in how to work with. Um, their patients in terms of the words to use and not use, how to achieve anesthesia, how to achieve analgesia, how to get this, the patient working with you and what to say and what not to say. Yeah. Basically, when I'm training dent dentists, hypnotists, I say, my job is to make you look good. So as the therapist, when you refer people to me, my job is to make you look good. So they come to you and now there's no pain, there's nothing going on, they're just feeling great. So you look good. It's not yeah. about the hypnotist. Brilliant. And also, it also means what we can do for them personally, because not many people know that studying many, many years ago found that the highest suicide rates are dentists. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. So they have very high stress levels. There's a, a glut of dentists in the world. Um, all the time they're coming out with new equipment, um, 
pricier equipment. They're coming out with different specializations, so they're always having to train, retrain, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of pressure on them. They're mostly running their own businesses. They've got to learn business as well as <laughs> as learning um, dentistry. Yeah. Having to learn finance and websites and all the things that we all do as a running yes. our business. So if you can offer them free sessions and during that, teach them what you can do for them, you will get so many referrals from them. Yeah. 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 You don't need the big websites. No. No, I get, I, I get that. You know, one of the uh, one of the best best things ever to happen with my own personal business was um, working with uh, a, a fairly local doctor who had a who had a really really um, a really really successful time of it coming and working with me, and as a result, uh, referred a couple of colleagues from within his practice, and and. It, it just created thereafter a very steady stream of patients that they had that they recommended and referred uh, in my direction. And I think that kind of development of relationships with dentists as well as doctors um, sounds sounds absolutely spot on to me. Well, you know, um, Hartland's medical hypnosis book. Yeah, Dr. yeah. Hartland. I mean, that's still uh, uh, one of the books on the lists for dent for do- dentists and for doctors to read. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I got that book in 1982. Yeah, that was one of the, that was the first book on hypnosis I found. Yeah. yeah, and when I met my husband and I, you know, told him what I did, he was fascinated because out he pulled his his copy as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hartland's book is um, uh, one of the uh, essential reading items on our. Uh our own diploma course so i'm delighted that you refer to that um and so so you you sort of made you made some brief reference to it earlier on during our interview um, um how, how did it come to be that you that, that, that you came to specialize and know so much with regards to hypnodontics um well, it's just success um, with the lady that had the problem with the false teeth. Yeah. Um, yes. That dentist just told other dentists. Um, my name went around. Um, I was highly visible because of my husband being a doctor. Yeah. Um, I guess. Uh, but I, I would go to doctors' functions and people say, oh, yes, we've heard about you. You're the lady that works with the dentists. And I said, okay, I didn't know I did, but, yeah, if you... <laughs> yeah. If you say that... <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> exactly. So um, it, it just started to grow. And I thought, well, seeing as they describe me as that, I better get some books on it. And I found there were no books. Mm. And I kept saying, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write... And if, that was it really yeah um my dentist used to say or she still does that um she loved working with me because i went into self-hypnosis yeah so she could do in 40 minutes with me what would take an hour with other people yeah because and she saved on the anesthetic and she charged me less because of that very nice too I know. <laughs> <laughs> it makes good business sense. 
It does. I saved um, a hundred pounds recently at a doctor's when I had I went for had to go for a colonoscopy, and I said, "Oh no, I don't want to waste twenty minutes waiting waiting for the drugs to work, and then spending two hours afterwards waiting for them to wear off, and then I've got to get a designated driver to take me home." Can't yeah. be bothered with all that. Just no. stick it up there, Doc. And he was not what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm going to use my self-hypnosis. And then at the end, I mean, he said, oh, I don't know what you do, but I wish I knew. You, that was the easiest I've ever done. I said, so does that mean you're going to reduce the bill? And he did, £100. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> um, um, do you, so, 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 you, you just wait for every opportunity and it's there. Yeah, yeah quite right. Um, um, and so you mentioned that you work with dentists as well, um, which which is real music to my ears. Um, um, do, do you ever um, do you ever have clients feeding back, or do you ever encounter any resistance at the other end of the spectrum with regards to dentists? Um, yes, because in Dubai everybody's about the dollar. Mm. Um, so from the dentist, yes. Um, but then there are a lot of poor people in Dubai, the people that dig the roads and the service people, etc. And they go to the the Indian doctors, the Filipino do- dentists, etc., etc. Yeah. And they love the idea. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, for example, I'm going to be in India in December. Six cities in India teaching hypnodontics they love it mm. yeah i bet they, they do love it. i bet they do and oh one one way to sell hypnodontics um to patients and to dentists is the growing um research and studies that are coming out on the importance of dental health vis-a-vis our own health yes. people are very you know very conscious now what they eat they'll have organic this and organic that etc etc and yet they're using toothpaste with lsls in yeah uh, with all sorts of cancer agents in yeah um they're not looking after their teeth and if you've got gum infections or any problems with your teeth you are swallowing that poison so you can have the healthiest food in the world but if you've got an unhealthy mouth that's going down, um, affecting your esophagus, your digestive system, and everything. So it just makes sense to be able to use self-hypnosis rather than add another drug, which is an anesthetic, to your mouth. Yeah. And swallow it. Yeah. Yeah. So to the, hip, the hippie types, or whatever you call them, <laughs> the, self, the, the body-conscious people, the gut conscious people this is a way of selling hypnosis to them yeah yeah absolutely um, um and so so probably one of the things that has helped cement you as a real leader within this um within this area has been um, um the, the publication of your book hypnodontics a manual for dentists and hypnotists um, um can you tell us tell us a little bit about it a little bit about about what what readers can expect well I mean, because I've written the book, yeah, I'm seen as the obvious expert, but I'm not. I knew there were other people doing work in hypnosis, 
So I asked colleagues from different parts of the world to, if they were interested in writing up a case study for it, because yeah. I didn't just want to promote me, I wanted to promote hypnotists around the world. So there's a lot of case studies in there yeah. um, um, from all over. Uh, so there's a chapter on that. But there is, um, and there's chapters there just for the dentists on what they can do to use hypnosis. And yeah. there's some chapters there for hypnotists, because if you're going to work with dentists, you better know something about dental health, about how teeth grow. You need some um, vocabulary. Yes. So I've provided that for the hypnotists. Great. And I've provided what the dentists need to know about hypnosis. I mean, early on, somebody said, um, when they looked at it, an editor looked, he said, oh, you've really written two books. You'd make a lot more money if you made it into two different books. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I'm not writing this for, for money, um, particularly. Um, I want it to be educational, so I kept it together, which makes it, makes it quite expensive. Um, but it's got the advice for both. Yes. Plus the case studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 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 with regards to that... Um, um, do you do you find yourself needing to to do any of the kind of hypnosis explana- exploration or explanation from from the start, or or is, is that is that a bit of a given? No, to, to dentists, I have to explain what is hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. And again, I've given some history of um, hypnosis and dentistry together because dentists actually some of the first people to use hypnosis mm. you know and, and for the hypnotist to understand the, the history of dentistry because you didn't go to a dentist um, 200 years ago you went to the local butcher <laughs> and he'd <laughs> yeah. pull the tooth out yeah. <laughs> you know if you've seen any of those charles dickens movies or whatever mm. and more and more they find that um dental health was very very important in the days of the um uh, pharaohs mm. and you know in archaeology and I, I love archaeology it's one of my hobbies <laughs> mm. um, and uh, Tutankhamun bless his heart and Ramses had terrible teeth Is and that of course so? that the health yes mm. Mm. he must have lived in great pain yeah yeah and so um um with regards to where can people go then, first of all, to get a copy of the book, and where can people go to learn more about hypnodontics in general? Um, in general, um, I guess my book would be a great start. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Then some people have come out with a few um, leaflets and things like that, so that's very nice. Yolanda Costa has come out with some leaflets on which are for people that work in the medical administration of dentists. Mm. Um, but my book is published by uh, the Elmans. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I wanted to work within that Elman tradition, and I, was, I wanted to find a publisher who understood what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's why I was really pleased when the Elmans said, oh, without a doubt, we'll after reading the book, this is where we want to publish it. So you can go to um, www.daveelman.com. 
hypnosisinstitute.com. Yeah. I'll put a, we'll have a link to that. Um, and it's an ebook and it's a book. Yeah. So you can get it in both. In either form. It's in it's in it's on Amazon, but only Amazon US, not Amazon UK. Sure. Um, it's, there's now a Spanish version and Arabic as well. Brilliant. And um, I have a couple of books, but only in Arabic, and that's on hyp hypnosis for kids, hypno kids, and things, because that's why I first wanted to do yeah. hypnosis to work with kids. Yeah. That was my my background as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been fascinating. I could ask you uh, more and more with regards to, to, to some of the applications and, and the so on. You know, when you were talking, you know, I got really excited when you started talking about, um, you know, the, the client that you helped overcome the gagging. When you mentioned earlier, you know, being able to reduce um, production of saliva, because I know what it's like, you know, a dentist myself. And, and very often I've spoken with dentists who just say, you know, this stuff is just pouring out of people's mouths. You know, um, um, it's wonderful to hear. Uh, a lot of those applications being discussed as well. Um, um, really, music for my ears. Um, I could, I could just ask you about that stuff, non-stop, Beryl. Um, but I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being so generous with with all that you've been sharing today. Um, there will be links for uh, all of the websites that we've discussed and the resources that we've discussed over at um, this particular episode's page on the Hypnosis Weekly website. And really all that leaves me to say is, Beryl Comer, thank you very much for being this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you, Adam, for doing this. Brilliant. Enjoyed that discussion. So we are on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. And our hypnosis factoid of the week is this. Hypnosis is more effective than physical therapy in reducing fatigue, pain and distress of fibromyalgia. So yes, indeed, this was due to a 1991 study by Harnan and colleagues, whereby the researchers found that hypnosis was more effective than physical therapy when it came to reducing muscle pain, fatigue, distress and sleep disturbances in sufferers of refractory fibromyalgia. And that these differences were maintained at follow-up. And uh, there's a link to the study entitled Controlled Trial of Hypnotherapy and the Treatment of Refractory fibromyalgia over at the webpage uh, this episode at the hypnosis weekly website um that's it for this week i do have many more exciting guests that i'll welcome to hypnosis weekly in coming weeks too we'll be discussing debating celebrating and above all remaining friends and to repeat the references made in the discussions along with the related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next time out, I welcome Nicole Wackernagel as my guest. We talk medical hypnosis, amongst other things. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach as much of the hypnosis field as possible. My thanks again go to Beryl Comer and thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time.
Goodbye for now.